0: Sailing's been really important to my life, and um, if I can say this quite unusually for a, a person of Māori descent, <laughs> my, fa- my family and I were pretty much the um, solo brown faces at our local yacht club. You know, Māori have this ancient connection to seafaring. But for some reason, you know, sailing in New Zealand is quite white middle class. I don't really <laughs> yacht clubs. Yes, <laughs> but but we did, mm. <laughs> and we did. My dad did that for me. I I longed to sail from when I was a tiny child. I Just something pulled me, and I pretty much demanded that he take me sailing and he take me to the local yacht club. I think I identified where that was. I might have been only eleven or twelve, and was like, "Look, Dad, we're going here on Sunday," <laughs> and he just um. Mm-hmm. He went along with that, and he built me my first boat as a builder. He didn't know anything about building boats. He, I think he looked it up or he asked for some help, and then consequently I spent 10 years sailing between the ages of 12 and 22, and it really absorbed, during that time it absorbed all of my focus. Nothing was more important to me. I don't sail as much these days. After I went to university, I, I stopped sailing quite as much. But Do you yearn for it? Yes, I miss it. I mean, I. I mean, we're sitting yeah, in your in your lounge <laughs> at the
1: moment, actually looking out in the most spectacular view at Langholm. Yes, Langholm. Of the Langholm sea. Bay.
0: Yeah, I do miss sailing. I mean, I actually I only I gave up sailing because I got very bad RSI from computer overuse, and I for a number of years I couldn't sail. Um, and during that time, I sold my boat and I had to take up other things to connect with the water, just like like swimming or being by the beach. But nothing really makes me feel as good as sailing does. And so. I guess, like, as a writer, it's a solo pursuit? Um, well, initially when I sailed, it was in single-person dinghies, but uh, in my university years, I did a lot of keelboat sailing. And this particular poem is not about sailing alone. I mean, it, it's about going out on a, on a large boat, you know, a, a, a keelboat offshore you know, with a group of people. And it's about how you feel when you can no longer see the shore and you, you feel this great sense of, on the one hand, being alone, on the other hand, not not alone. And it's, it's funny how being so isolated can make you feel more connected with your life in some ways. I'm trying to convey that in the poem, just the immensity of being on this tiny little dot of a ship and looking around and seeing nothing but water. Um, and in fact, it, it's... Funny, I've written about that in some ways because I haven't done very much offshore sailing at all. Um, I've done a lot more solo sailing in dinghies, but I, I guess the experience is so striking. You only need to go a few times, and it never really leaves you. Just how amazing it is to be out on the ocean. So I grew up um, actually on the North Shore. Something that I try to keep quiet these days. <laughs> 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 so North Shore, but um, no, I had a fabulous upbringing on the North Shore in Browns Bay, which is. Right at the northern end of the shore, and we lived above the beach.
1: But it wasn't like the the certain class of North Shore, eh? like towards.
0: Um, well, it's it's an interesting place for a Maori family to grow up. It's very it's extremely white, if it's okay to say. Um, in my year at school, there were only three Maori students, and I went to a very big school, Rangatoto College, right. or as we sound the show, Rangatoto College, yeah. because no one will be... <laughs> you, won't hear, you won't hear anyone calling it Rangatoto College, mm-hmm. actually. Um, it was a, a good... I had a good experience at school, but it was... It, it was, yeah. I mean, I, 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 grew, I grew up in an environment where there weren't many other Maori students or people, for that matter, around, um, in, a, in a really a white world... Um, having said that, our family were Māori, Chinese, English, and within our own family, of course, we had a lot of contact with g- going back to the Marae, which um, for me is in Tauranga, where my dad, um, where well, my dad's dad is from, and his, his, his mum, sorry, or my, gran- my great grandfather, and also his mother, and also with the Chinese connection. When my Chinese grandfather was still alive, we had a lot of contact with the local Chinese community. Um, and grew up with that, so within my own life I felt really enriched by all the different parts of my background, but physically we were certainly living in an enclave of middle-class whiteness, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't think it's really done me any harm, it's probably made me more confident in navigating different worlds and different spaces, Um, and my biggest regret about the situation of my upbringing was really just not knowing the rao, and... I've tried, and for my father too. He was part of the lost generation, where he didn't learn the language, nor did any of his siblings. And it's something we've tried to regain. And I, I found it quite, quite difficult to regain it. I mean, I. What did you find difficult about it? Um, was there a gonna, degree of
1: judgment or? Um,
0: no, no. I mean, my dad and brother and I actually signed up for a night class. To learn the rā together, which was incredible when I was a lot younger. I was in my early 20s, maybe. Um, and we learnt through the, um, the rākau immersion oh, Te Ata Rangi. We had a wonderful experience. No, in fact, the barriers were of my own making, just finding enough time. Mm. I mean, to really learn a language, you have to fully immerse yourself. You have to put the time in. And I was always... Now I'm sailing. listening to myself, I was always sailing, I was too busy for that, <laughs> yeah, <sailing. laughs> yeah, so I my ability to pick up the language was kind of marred by my own lack, you know, lack of time and I, I, what was the most interesting thing for me and the best thing for me though about trying to learn was being there with my father and seeing that he, I mean he's a man just imbued with mana and he never learned really more than a few phrases but he doesn't really need any... I mean, he doesn't need more than a few phrases. He'll stand up and say a couple of things and, um, you know, everyone can feel his presence and he doesn't need to know, you know, the vocabulary and, and other things to, to speak, you know. It's through
1: her father's whakapapa that Kitty is Māori, Ngāti Ranginui, through the Pihana line, and Chinese through her grandfather, Don Lung Wong, Jack Wong, who married her nanny, Sylvia, to Hiti Hiti piahana. Kitty, you talk about how um, your identity enriched you in terms of being able to navigate spaces that may not necessarily be welcome.
0: Yes. As I, a Māori Chinese
1: nice. girl, English girl, uh, wahine. Yes. How much do you think... Your appearance has allowed you access into those spaces, and yeah. that you're, um, you're a sailor, right? But you're, you're probably not as weathered <laughs> as,
0: as, uh, as you may have been I in your 20s. It.
1: Yeah, so you're, very, you're fair. <laughs> You've got fierce. green eyes. I do. To me, you look very mildy, but to others, I'm assuming they would just think, oh, there's a yeah. stunning looking, Pākeh looking girl, yes. right? Uh, it's
0: been a re- actually, my appearance has been. Can I say this? It's been quite an issue for me, my appearance, because, in some ways, you're quite right. In the white world, I'm perceived as white. Mm. I don't always appreciate that. Which means that you've <laughs> often had
1: access, or you've mm-hmm. been present when certain conversations have been made. Yes, that
0: can, that can be. i I mean, I've, I've lost track of the number of times I'll be at some kind of dinner, and someone will start making racist remarks. I'm just going to use the word racist. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat. It. Blatantly racist remarks about Maori, about Treaty settlements, and I'm thinking, all oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, depending on the context, sometimes I would say something. It's not always appropriate, but sometimes I would say something, and then everyone would be quite shocked. Uh, that you know, but having to say something, always being that person to have to say something, sometimes I found that very tiring and like a burden. And um, like i was thinking, I can't just not say anything. Some days I think why do I always have to be the one to point out the obvious to these racist people? (laughs) Why does it always have to be me doing this? Because I'm the one that's here. And I once had an appalling conversation. It's never left me with a workmate. Um, I'd been working for that company for probably six months. She was a a white woman and we were friends. And one day there was an article in the paper and it was about um, a Maori man who had been convicted of a violent crime. And my colleagues started making remarks about Maori in relation to to crime. And I said, and I challenged her. And then she was kind of very puzzled, you know, why am I challenging her? And I said, look, you know, I'm Maori, don't you? And I was even wearing a ponamu. I always wore it. And she just looked at me and she said, no, you're not. And I I was kind of like, I think I know. I was thinking in my head, I think I know what I I am. I was like. I am Maori. I mean, basically, it was so confronting for her to think of someone she knew and liked who wasn't a criminal as being Maori that she couldn't handle it. And it was—it just shocked. It really—I mean—shocked me. It didn't really surprise me, but it was—it was this awful moment. And then she just could barely speak to me. And in subsequent days, you know, our relationship just disintegrated. She didn't. She couldn't because I, I didn't fit in her idea of what a Maori person was or did. And the other thing, that I, though, that I find related Even to... Even though she would have known what your surname is? Well, I mean, at that point, my... Pia Hannah Kitty Pia Hanna didn't, I didn't Hanna have, Wong. I didn't have this name. Now, this name, Pia Hanna Wong, is my father's full legal name. When we were born, five children, he decided that it was too much of a mouthful to give his children this name. As so many parents of <laughs> yes. my descent did, actually. Yes, and in fact, my mother didn't take this name either. and We just had the name Wong... I grew up right until my kind of um, late 20s with the name Kiri Wong. I mean, Kiri is a Maori name, mm. obviously, but for whatever reason, it's it's not as striking perhaps as the piahana. So my name was Wong. It was evident then that I was part Chinese, but perhaps not so strongly evident in my name that I was Maori. I took I legally changed my name and so did one of my younger sisters um, at a later date to To carry it on, Um, it's kind of I guess so, but it was really out of respect for my dad. I wanted his name, and I wanted it legally. Um, But just going back quickly to appearance, the other very funny thing though about appearance is, I mean, we just talked about how I, I can look white to a white person, but for my dad. I mean, my dad is half Maori, half Chinese. He's obviously not white. <laughs> There's nothing white about him. You know, he, he looks like what he is. And yet when he would navigate the white world, what would happen is eventually people would stop perceiving his, the colour of his skin. They would just see Dave, their mate, you know, their mate Dave. His name's David. And they would feel quite free to make blatantly racist Remarks against Maori and Chinese people in front of him because they did no longer perceived him as being in their other group. He was their friend, and he's different, and he's different from oh, those but you're other. Different, and he was different in zero mind. I mean, they were never articulate like this. He was different from those other Maori and Asian people, and therefore, my dad very comfortably navigated the world of sailing, the yacht club environment—a very rich, white environment. Dad was a hundred percent at home there. Everyone, you know, saw him as belonging. Um, and so, and on the one hand, I've said my appearance has allowed me to easily navigate the space. On the other hand, I look at my father and think, well, he, he, he also has navigated that space with great ease. So I'm not sure, I'm really not sure in conclusion how much is your appearance and how much is just simply the way you interact with others. Um, I've been on the Marae and been perceived as white as well, um, To me, when I look at my face in the mirror, I I just can't possibly see how anyone could think I was white. (laughs) I just can't think. But, I mean, perhaps my eye colour.
1: I've been overseas. Yeah. And I've been perceived as white. I got asked by a Canadian woman. That's right. And I'm very not. And uh, a Canadian woman said to me one time, she, she was making these racist comments. Yes. And um, I ended up saying something, and she said, "Huh? But you're white, right?" Uh, yes, and like I, my work
0: colleague. I mean, I was very so similar,
1: astounded. I, yeah. I'd never ever been called white in my life, and I just looked at her and did this whole theatrical performance of, kind of getting saying to her, "Do I?" Look white and to her, I did, yes, and that's how people frame It's
0: how people frame you in terms of their personal interactions. and i yeah. I was absolutely yeah. shocked, absolutely shocked yeah. <laughs> i mean i would i I would be too in your shoes, and I can really relate to that. um the interesting thing for me traveling is people often just dis- well, I have to say. Um, I've never been to Scandinavia I don't think this would happen there Mm. But many, many other places I've travelled I'm perceived as being a local Um, So in France, um, I easily pass as French Until I try to say anything And then it's like, okay (laughs) (laughs) We got that wrong (laughs) Um, A lot of people think I'm Brazilian Probably Mm -hmm. if I had to pick the most common one that people settle on, if they don't know me, they think I'm Brazilian, I'm, I've got to say, OK, I really don't have a big problem with that. <laughs> That's OK. <laughs> it's a reasonably flattering pick. Um I've been to the Middle East. Um, well, it's harder to po- pass as a local person there because of your dress it makes you stand out as a tourist, but I certainly felt at home. I, I went to the United Arab Emirates. I did feel really at home there, Um that might seem a strange thing to say. I mean, Islamic culture is obviously so different and alien in many ways to Western culture, but I felt my appearance made me feel at home or something made me feel at home. And my brother actually looks incredibly Arabic. He gets so much shit, at, sorry, at airports. <laughs> he's always pulled out of line. and he, he, I sometimes say to him, how can you even bear to travel at all? Yeah, But he's... He's he's tough. He, he 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 just he has a yeah um he his his skin tone and his hair for some reason um he could easily pass as a local in the Middle East and yeah so if he travels through America that's a bit of an issue for him um so appearance for our family has is actually a really interesting one we've all we all look very different and take after different parts of our heritage is a fascinating thing because I've mentioned we, there's a big we have a big family there's five children um. One of my sisters, my, one of my younger sisters, looks unmistakably Polynesian. She, uh, I, I mean, wow, well, we just had a conversation. I'm thinking no one could think she was white, but maybe, maybe that could happen, but it would be difficult. Um, then my younger sister, interesting enough, looks very Chinese, and she, she's um, a very slender build, um, dead straight, thin black hair, dark brown hair, and her face, very Chinese features in her face. Um, my older sister, it's been more of a blend. Three sisters um, and one brother, my poor brother, yes, surrounded by these <laughs> women. Um, but yes, we we look so different. Um, that is an interesting thing. And I, I guess, I mean, I do look the most white out of them. But then of all you know
1: what, us. sometimes, Kitty, when you encounter families like that and you meet the siblings and you're like, gee. And it's not until you see the parents and mm. you go, right, now I see yes. it.
0: I can see how exactly. they're all that combo. But my poor mother was always being asked if we were adopted. Uh-huh. Because, of course, my mother's Pākehā, both of her parents are of English descent. And, in fact, her father was born in England. They came out here when he was a child. So she would be taking us, you know, horde of children to the supermarket <laughs> or wherever. And everyone would just be looking at you yes. like, where did you get those kids? Yes. And I have to say, I mean... Can I say this? No, I do want to say it. We were interviewed um, by Mana Magazine. Our family, as part of a feature on Maori Chinese families, and it was a one. It was wonderful to be interviewed by them, and I, I enjoyed the article. But I really felt they minimised my mother in the article. I mean, to be fair, it was about the, the Maori, Maori Chinese, Chinese but connection. they they kind of they had this one sentence about her, something like. And then Lois, a Pakeha, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, you're talking about my mother there, as if she, as if she didn't exist mm. in our lives, you know, because of the article's focus. I'm like, oh, I, I, and I, th- I do worry. And I then never for want her, my mother to feel that excluded because it would have been she's so white.
1: huge. Because these are her children. Yes. And then she's going to supermarkets, and people are saying, Are they adopted? Are they adopted? And it's like, well, no, actually, they're mine. They're and then mine. They're still not believing it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that would have been huge. Um, and and she would have
1: had that the yes. whole time she was rearing And, you. I mean, the
0: English part of my heritage is very important to me, and I've been to England multiple times. And the very interesting thing about when when you're Maori or you're, or you're Asian, whatever, and you're part white, is people, for some reason, I'm reminded by a friend, I, I don't think he'll mind me mentioning his name, his name's Rewa, and he's a poet. He He has English heritage, and he's saying then why do people always call me, now I think in his case it's Māori, why do people, I'm Māori, but I can't be white, you know, because I'm part Māori. However, people are quite happy to dismiss the English part of my heritage. This was in the context of saying, um, a recent article saying that um, Pacific poets are quite divorced from the English canon. Now it was falsely stating that we're not influenced by the English canon of poetry. And he was saying, you know what, I'm actually part English. Just because my skin looks like this doesn't mean I don't have English heritage. And I think he raises a really good point that we sometimes don't hear brought up. um, And that is many, many of us who are Maori have English ancestry. And that might seem incredibly obvious. It sounds obvious when I'm stating it. But, you know, it means that we have that genetic tie back to England
1: and that, for some of us, that's very important. That's maybe a little bit closer to mine, but you know, I I've got yes. English ancestry too and French. Yes, I mean it may be four generations and our, down our the line, Maorienes but should
0: it somehow negate that? That's mm. kind of my point. Like, what, it, it being but Maori what it means to be Māori, what it means to have English heritage. And Do you that. think
1: it's a thing around how sometimes everything English can be privileged? So yes, It's a thing about saying um, this person is a Māori poet, but then what it does right, is it ends up making that very exclusive as well. Yes,
0: and, and I mean, really to come back to my work, I mean, the very interesting thing, if we look at um, the two books that, that Anahira Press, my company, published last year, my own collection, Night Swimming, that I read the poem from, and Ben Brown's collection, Between the Kindling and the Blaze Reflections on the Concept of Mana. So both of us Maori poets, obviously, and pegged as such, but it's been very it's been a very interesting experience marketing these two books. And with Ben's book, it's about mana, and it's this book is directly Im- imbued with Maori culture, with the Reo, because of the subject matter and I mean because of who Ben is as well. I mean but the the, the point of the book I guess is, is to reflect on mana. Um so it's it's Maori ness, can I say it, you know jumps out at you and stares you in the face. <laughs> That's helped by the cover. Yes, and the, we've chosen we've chosen this beautiful cover by Maori young Maori artist Rewi McClay. It looks like it's, a Manaya it's design. Just, it, it's a gorgeous it's it's a, um, a firebird or a fire tanifa. He does um, It's gorgeous. It's almost like you can yes. feel the texture. So it's from an hey. it's it's from an acrylic original that Rewi mm. did and it's a detail. Um, you can see the full um, more of the oh,
1: yeah, design. The, on yeah the, the, the design CD. on the
0: C D Um, Oh, I love it already. I can see a title of a poem called Cherbro. Yes. (laughs) Um, So the cover, I mean, we chose the cover. In fact, I chose this particular work by Rewi because I felt it would represent what the book was about. Um, But I mean, I guess my point is no one could really be in doubt that this book has Maori subject matter. Whereas you look at my book, Night Swimming, you see perhaps my name's Kiri Piahana Wong on the cover and and you see Kiri, you see Piahana. But... My book is not really leaping out and it's knocking you out with its yep. Maori qualities. And, I mean, I have poetry in here. Um, there's one particular poem called Matariki, and that's about, I guess, it's going to sound funny. I'm a poet, I can say this, my special relationship with the moon. <laughs> I feel this great, like, you know, communion with the moon. And I've <laughs> written this poem about the moon um, and, in fact, the lack of moon in Matariki. <laughs> and about um i, I write about Papatuanuku, the the earth and how you know being a maori woman and my relationship with the earth and um i mean to me my maoriness is is not just in this obvious matter but it's right throughout the book in my deep love of the ocean because of course like we've discussed we were we we're a seafaring people so i can see here that this is a book by a, a young poet. Maori poet, but a lot of people kind of, it's not so obvious, and when I've marketed the book, it's been been—it's um, <laughs> been easier to market this book directly to Maori focused. So you're talking about Ben's ben, book? Ben Brown's book, yeah. I mean, his book has been bought in very large quantities by libraries and they want it for their Maori collection, which is wonderful, of course, it, it's fantastic for me to think that this book's going out into libraries. Um But just, and and, you know, for perhaps New Zealand literature programs where they wanted to have a Maori poet. But my book has been a lot more problematic to market just in that... Promoting my book as a book by a Maori poet is kind of, people are kind of like, well, we're not really seeing it. Oh, so, <laughs> but then that's also a thing around um, <laughs> so, slotting what yes, they, they think is Maori it, poetry. They want to slot it somewhere, and they're kind yeah. of like, mm, you know, we love your book, but we're not, we are not, we can't really put this on a Maori literature programme. And that's very restricting thinking, too, isn't it? Well, but I'm Maori! Well, where do you yeah. want to put it, and yeah. then nowhere, or like, I don't know, it just doesn't, isn't fitting, you know. And to be fair with that, I mean, there are poems in here that I think if I just pulled it out and showed someone, nothing in the poem could really indicate. But then, Kelly pia to wong, it
1: gets to that cordial <laughs> yes. around what is Māori. What is Māori? Yeah. Do we
0: have to write about what's termed Māori That's things right. to do be Māori? Do we have, to, do we have to write about we a don't. Hangi? We, shouldn't yeah. ha- we don't, and we shouldn't have to. No. We, we write, and I believe as, in terms of, as poets, we write, What's in us We write what it means to be ourselves And Ben's book is entirely authentic to him It's his authentic voice This is how he writes This is who he is For me, I mean we've, I've talked about how important my English ancestry is And I've touched on being Chinese And, and I guess my book is a fusion of who I am um, And the fact that it doesn't slot easily for people Or librarians or, or teachers Into exactly the place they might want it to slot Is not my problem this is what I wanted to say. I wasn't about to try and go through my book and read it to make it more this or that, just to please people's expectations or to make my book more marketable for that matter. This is what I wanted to say with this book and I'm pleased to have said it so people can take it or leave it. (laughs) Yeah.